So the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to take it up in verse 13. We'll read all the way to the end in verse 26. For you were, let me remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, But through love, serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. (coughs) But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we pray that you would lead us into all truth this morning. We pray that you would help us to understand your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to warn you as we come to this passage, this is not going to be an ethical imperative sermon whereby we we simply dwell upon the obligation or the command to love. There are other passages that speak about the command to love for the believer. We'll say something about the idea of the command in Scripture to love as God through Christ has loved us. But the ethics of believers or believing activity and and the expression of love must be motivated by some greater factor than ourselves or our vain sentiments or merely simply the command of God. We need to see and to know that the fruit of the Spirit comes to us by virtue of the very character and love-inducing activity of God himself. The obligation to love flows out of the reality that God has loved us. Now we take up this morning a passage here in Galatians chapter 5 concerning the fruit of the Spirit. Notice the word is singular, it's not plural, it's not the fruits of the Spirit, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. They all go together. Uh, All of these things listed here belong together as one lump sum. Believers receive this fruit. It's like eating an apple, and we find that we eat both the the outside, uh, the inside flesh, but also the outside skin. Uh, We might chew down not only around the middle, but also around the sides. We take it all in. We eat the fruit. 
Well, it's the same thing in the life of the believer, that fr- the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things, not just one or two, but all of them together. <clears throat> well, we typically preach, uh, I typically preach through one particular book at a time, Lectio Continua, text after text, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But uh, this brings us into, uh, this series will bring us to Galatians in this particular verse, in verses 22 and verse 23, considering the fruit of the Spirit. It's just a brief uh, series through which we ought to walk as Christians, determining how we ought to live in the world. And that, I think, is a question that afflicts many of us. How ought I to live? How can I live as as a spouse? How can I live as a worker amongst uh, non-Christians? How ought my, my conduct to be ordered in my family and in my home amongst my family members? In this world in which it is a very dark place, in which sin reigns, how ought I to live? How can I influence my world for Jesus How can I stand out, stick out, be different, and not be be transformed by this world or conformed to the world, but transformed by the love of God in Christ Jesus? Well, by bearing the fruit that accrues to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord in truth. We have nine weeks. This week we'll take up the subject of love. There we have, in in its context, Paul is writing to churches throughout the region of Galatia, not one particular congregation, but a circular letter meant to be circulated amongst numerous churches in the Galatian region. And he writes to these these churches, they seem to be afflicted by individuals who have come into the believing community who are all about, who have uh, uh, emphasized uh, works-based righteousness. They are convinced that if you do the right things, God will love you. As an equation, if you do the things that please God, then God will work in you and love you and justify you by those works. Paul makes a counter-argument. You are justified, first and foremost, by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, (coughs) it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. As Paul says in Ephesians. But he makes clear that we are justified not by the keeping of the law, but by the obedience of the gospel that compels us to believe and to repent. To repent and to believe. And if we have repented and we have believed, if we had faith in God's provision of his Savior, then surely we are justified by that faith. He lifts up the law and keeping of the law, and he talks about the deeds of the flesh, and he talks also about being led by the Spirit of God. And he makes the argument that if we are led by the Spirit of God, our lives will bear fruit. And it begins supremely with the apex characteristic of love. Love is extraordinary. Love is numbered amongst Paul's statement that three things abide, faith, love, and hope. 
Love is supremely something that describes the very character of God. Three times scripture reveals the nature of God. In three revealing absolute statements of what God is. God is spirit in John chapter 4 verse 24. God is light in 1 John 1 5. And 1 John 4 8, God is love. He is love itself. He is love personified. Mankind would not know what love is, would not understand what love is without God defining it in his very nature. Now, very long ago, not very long ago, when I was a teenager and just moving out of my 20s, uh, or just starting into my 20s, uh, the band Foreigner had a, had a song, What I want to know what love is. He wanted to experience love. And, and for him, uh, as, as whomever wrote that song, it was that person wanted to know the infatuation of a welling up of feelings for another human being. He wanted to know that, 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 that physical, internalized dopamine exposure that, that leads one to feel great feelings, heights and depth about another human being. We have many different songs that ask the question, what is love? Howard Jones and, and I think another singer, Holiday or Haraday. Our society is still asking the same question, trying to discover what is love. And the only way that anyone will ever come to know what love is by looking for it in the character of God, seeing the love of God revealed in Scripture. This fruit of love flows to believers and it only flows to and through believers because of the very character of God, the loving and the love inducing activity of God, the revealing of God and his love to mankind. You would not know what love is if God did not reveal it to you in his loving act. You would not understand what love is in its nature unless you knew and understood God as he reveals himself to you. Love would not exist apart from God, only hatred or indifference. One writer has said, through the Spirit, knowing God and being known by him become the same thing. Knowing God and being known by him become the same thing. The same applies to being loved by and loving God. Those who are known by God know him. Similarly with agape, which is the word used here in this passage, but the fruit of the Spirit is agape. We'll talk about different kinds of love in a moment, but with agape, the faith which knows that it is loved is active in love. So if you know that you are loved by God, if you know that the love of God has saved you, then in fact, your knowledge of that love demonstrates that you are saved. You've experienced the love of God in Christ. The faith which knows that it is loved is active in love. Thus, love can be said to be the fruit of the Spirit. God's love then is encountered, known, felt, believed, and then flows naturally from the believer. It takes hold of us and transforms us into a loving person. So you see how this chain develops. God loves us and he reveals his love to us. And <clears throat> we come to an understanding of that love. We, we believe that God loves us. And in experiencing that love, we are saved. We come to a, a knowledge of God and his love, and we are saved in our understanding and our faith and 
belief in what that what 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 God has said is true. And then that love through the presence of the Holy Spirit flows naturally from, from the believer. It takes hold of us. It transforms us into an increasingly loving person. And we love, and love is exercised, and love is manifested. The love of God is manifested through us. This is the argument of 1 John 4.16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Simply stated, if you truly and genuinely love other human beings, not merely because of what they do for you, our love is so often so very selfish. We love on the basis of what others can do for us, or the things that we like about them, well, that's not really what love is. Love is a decision of the will to love, to care for, to be affectionate to, and, and to concern ourselves with the welfare of the other person. If we love, then surely the love of God abides in us. Now that word is agape here in this passage. It's, it's that holy kind of love which comes only from God. It's, a, it's, it's an affection, a deep affection for, but much larger merely than just affection. It is love. It is electing love. It is gracious love in the activity of forgiving, of redeeming, of justifying, of covenant making and establishing, of showing mercy. It's largely unique to the Bible and describes an unselfish love of God for humanity, when in fact we are in a position of hatred against him. In other words, agape love is God's love for sinners. When we were actually opposed to him. So before we loved God, when we did not love God, God loved us. The Bible says when we were rebels, in fact, God loved us. The Bible says that when we were his enemies, God loved us. Love. The author Pink, in his wonderful book on the attributes of God, he speaks about love, and he talk, tells us about the character of God's love, and he says it in this way, the love of God is influenced. There is nothing in you and me. It is uninfluenced. There was nothing in you and me that moved the heart of God to love us. On the contrary, everything was present in us to repel the love of God, and yet he loved us. The love of God is uninfluenced. Further, the love of God is eternal. Doesn't God say in his word, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The love of God is eternal. The love of God is also sovereign. He loves whomsoever he pleases. Romans, haven't we been reading on Wednesday evening Bible study? Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. The love of God is uninfluenced. It is eternal. It is sovereign. It is also infinite. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. 
His love is extraordinary. It is also immutable, the love of God. In him there is no shifting shadow, no change. If God has loved you, if God loves you, he will not change in his love for you. It will never flag or fail. God's love is also holy. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The love of God is also gracious. Christ didn't die in order to make God love you. Christ died because God loved you. Calvary is God's declaration that he loved you before all eternity, that he has loved you extraordinarily so. Hebrew equivalents in the Old Testament of love or of agape is ahav or chesed. It's covenantal love. It's, it's exactly what's in view in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a youth, God says, I loved him. Love displayed in Hosea's relationship with Gomer. Do you remember her? She was so deeply unfaithful to him, and yet God commanded Hosea, go and take to you a woman of ill repute. Love her without fail. Take her back when she has failed you and has been unfaithful. And in that is a demonstration of God's love for his own people. Well, God's love is a fatherly love as well, zealous, unfailing, a holy jealousy, a tenderness, a compassion, an empathy. Some of us have known the love of a father who was maybe not so loving. Some of you have shared with me that your fathers were harsh, not compassionate at all, not kind. Well, your father is nothing like that. Your father in heaven loves without fail. The father in heaven has demonstrated his love for you consistently again and again in activity and not just words. And so when the Bible says that God is love, it means not just that God sits in the heavens and emanating from his person are these these little emojis of hearts that just teach us that if we were to look upon him, we would see the most loving individual. No, The Bible displays that the love of God is manifest, is shown to you, is declared and purposefully laid out before you in the example of the activity of God's love. God's love is active. God's love is actively engaged in acts of love towards you and toward me continually. Well, this love of God calls for a reciprocated love on the part of all who are his. We are to love as he is loved. God's love is revealed supremely, explicitly, gloriously in Jesus Christ. When Christ died for sinners, the love of God was made manifest extraordinarily so, unlike any other act in all of human history. If you question whether or not God loves you, look to the cross of Jesus Christ, where the beloved eternal Son of God was hung for the sake of sinners. Maybe you say, I I don't really feel the love of God for me this morning. My life has been difficult. My life has been hard. You need to remember that God has sent forth his only begotten son so that whomsoever should believe in him would have everlasting life. The love of God is revealed in his son. For Jesus is the one whom God has truly loved and is given for your sake and for mine. 
Now, agape love is differentiated from three other different kinds of love we see in Scripture. And there are other Greek words that are used for love that are not in the Bible itself. Eros is one word used in the Bible. It's erotic love. It's it's of an erotic nature. There's phileo love, which is brotherly love. And there's storge, which is familial love, love for family, for relatives, for, for those with whom we are in relationship. But agape love, agape love is extraordinarily the sovereign love of God for sinners disqualified by their sin, a love which will not fail nor can be taken away, a love which loves not because of the loveliness of the individual, but in fact in spite of. Do you remember the lawyer's question in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39? The lawyer asks Jesus, tell us, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great command. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now there's a lot that can be said about the, if we do a survey about love in the Bible, and rather than looking up multiple verses that we don't simply have time for this morning, I'm going to give you a summary of what the Bible says about love. I've looked up all the relevant verses, uh, that every single verse in Scripture, in the New Testament, that mentions agape love. There's some 300 of them. As sin increases, love decreases. In the activity in the Christian's life, as sin increases, as we give ourselves to a particular sin, our love for others decreases. It simply works that way. Law justifiers, those who would be justified by the law in Galatians, see no obligation whatsoever to love. You see, because they have not experienced the love of God. The unloving have not experienced the love of God. The unloving do not have the love of God within them. But the loving, those who do love truly, however faultingly and failingly at times, even though we must repent over our imperfect love for each other, the loving have experienced the love of God. Those who genuinely love have experienced the love of God. Yesterday I was working out with my younger son. We went to work out. It's a way in which I simply try to take care of and steward the body that God has given to me. So we work out together three days a week. I work out on my own another two days. And when we went, there was a man at the counter who was kind of all over the place and who was was, uh, looking, searching in his pockets for his card. And he was in the way so that we couldn't check in and was trying to get the Uh, I was trying to get the attention of the person at the counter so they would check me in because they know me and they know that they give me a head nod and I give them a head nod and off I go and I can go work out. When I go to work out, I try to keep my head down, get the work done and leave. Well, in doing so, I was rude to that man and I didn't really mean to be, but but I was. And so as we began to stretch and we were laying on the ground and stretching, I saw the man come in and I asked my son John, is that the man that was at the door? Because he had taken off a lot of clothing and he was now stripped down to his exercise clothes and I didn't quite recognize him, but I was struck in my heart that I had been rude and that that wasn't very loving. And here I am, I'm going to preach about loving tomorrow. This was yesterday. And so I went over to the man and I said, 
I said, are you the man that was by the gate as, or by the desk as I walked in? He said, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I said, well, I want to apologize and, and ask forgiveness because I was rude to you. And I, I went on and he gave me a fist bump and he said, all's good and all that, 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 all that good thing kind of thing. But, but it, it was, it was, it weighed heavily on me. I could not sit there and stretch on the ground because I knew that what I had done was not kind. And so the spirit of God prompted me to get up and to go and to repent and ask forgiveness and humiliate myself before him, but to show the love of God. The love of God compels a believer to the activity of actually loving, not just, not just feeling a wealth of feelings about God, but actually acting upon that love because we have experienced and we know the love of God for us. The loving have experienced the love of God. The loving have the love of God within them. Something compelled me yesterday, and it was simply this. And it's not, um, it, it, it's simply this. I know that God has loved me. And because God has loved me, I know that if I don't love as he has loved, it demonstrates, simply stated, that I have not experienced the love of God. Or that I'm an unjust steward of this love that has been granted to me. How could I, who have experienced the love of God, not express the same kind of love for other human beings that God has shown to me? When Christians show love to one another, to one another, they clarify to the world that they are Christ's disciples. We're still surveying scripture and scriptural principles about love and the love of God. Jesus loves us in the same way that the Father has loved us. In fact, he states this explicitly in the Gospels. The commandment, keeping, and love to God are synonymous. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Again and again, the correlation is made between this idea, that if we obey, we are demonstrating our love to God. If we love God, we must obey God. Love for God walks in obedience, not disobedience. Disobedience displays a contrariness to the love of God. Disobedience displays an unlove, a lack of love, an indifference to God. Commandment keeping and love to God are synonymous. That's the way God sees it. Read it in his, in his word. That if we love God, we will keep his commandments the exercise of love fulfills the law. That's what we are told. No man has demonstrated a greater love than Jesus did in laying down his life for us. The love of God comes to meet us in the Son of God. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God loved us when we were sinners and rebels. Again, we're surveying scripture on agape and God's activity of love. And our response to that love, our experience of that love, nothing, according to Romans 8, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Love moves synonymously with prayer, too. Love isn't really love unless we are praying for the one that we say that we love. Love moves, works synonymously with prayer. Love edifies more than any other spiritual gift or feats or charity. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or prideful. Love never fails. 
God is a God of love. God is himself love. You would have never known love if you did not know God. God loves. God loves his creation. God's love is great. God's love surpasses knowledge. God loves you if you are his child. And nothing can separate you from his love. Christian love is evidence of genuine faith. Christians are commanded to love because Christ has loved us. So let's make, in conclusion, a few points of application. God's love overcomes every difficulty, every limitation, even sinful infidelity. You realize that? God's love can overcome your your difficulties, your limitations, your lack of power. I know that that's something that our own generation says that is so very desperately needed. No, I, I, I disagree. But even if you lack power, I don't know about you this morning, but I feel rather powerless. But if we lack power, if we lack certain priorities and or privileges, if we lack any of those things, God's love can overcome all of it. In fact, God's love overcomes even our own sinfulness. Even when we are unfaithful, even when we sin against God, his his love overcomes Love never fails is not just a marriage mantra that we read when we join in nuptials with our spouse. It's a description of the love of God. And all of his loving and saving activities in you and for you and around you and through you, they demonstrate that God's love will never fail. Have you experienced the love of God in Christ? Did you believe it one day? You know, the love of God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God's love will never fail you. God's love will never cease. God's love will never flag or fail. God's love will never one day disappear from your life. God's love will continue from beginning to end. God's love never ceases. If God has loved you, God will love you for all eternity. His love never fails. God... Uh, second point of application, God loves, and this is seen in his activity, in the activity of his electing love, whereby he chose you and loved you before the foundation of the world. That's the language of Scripture. He loved you and he chose you before the foundation of the world. He has converted and redeemed and justified and adopted and sanctified. And supremely, he has sent his beloved son to his death in the place of wicked sinners. For you, for me. Thirdly, to see God's love, to know that God has loved you, that he loves his son, that he has forgiven you of your sins, to know God's love for his son and for sinners through his son is to be in possession of that redeeming, forgiving love. If you know that God loves his son and that God loves sinners saved by grace, then you are in possession of that love For God has shown that to you. You are saved because you know this and believe it to be true. Conversely, if you reject the idea of God's love for sinners and for his son, then the love of God is not in you. You do not have a relationship with God. Christian love is a consequence, in conclusion, 
of God's love to us in Christ Jesus. It is fruit, fruit flowing from this. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, after having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. True faith bears fruit in love because love flows through Christ to us. This isn't a call to try harder. This is a call to experience the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is not some scriptural ethic that says you must try hard to be more loving. You need to be more loving as God is loving. Certainly that is true, but this is a question of who you are, really. Are you a child of God? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a believer? Can you say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. May God be pleased to enable you and me to know, to experience. Ma'am, please be quiet. Thank you. The Lord Jesus, please be quiet. Thank you. You may have a seat. You may have a seat, ma'am. Thank you. You may have a seat. Thank you very much. The Lord bless you. May the Lord enable. May the Lord. May the Lord enable and help each of us. You see, my dear friends, this morning, our God is a God of order. Ma'am, please, thank you. Would you please? Thank you. Dear friends, this is an example of our God who is a God of order. And that's why Paul writes to the church and says, not all are permitted to speak in the midst of a service, that some are required to sit and to be quiet, and that there are those who are qualified to pastor and lead the church in all truth. Those who have tested the spirits, you and I, all of us are called to that duty, to test the spirits, to examine and to see whether or not what we hear is from the Lord. Well, the word of God is clarified to us this morning. The fruit of the spirit is love. And what you just observed is not a very loving act. But may God enable us to walk in his love, which is always and continually loving, gracious, and kind. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we ask for the person who has just interrupted our service that you would be merciful. We pray that you would be gracious. Thank you, Lord, for this woman who seems to express a genuine faith in Christ. We're thankful for that. We pray that she would know the love of God in Christ, that she would understand the love of God that calls for order in the worship service and calls for us to walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord, he who walked humbly amongst his own people, he who walked humbly before the world, he who endured great suffering and great derision from those who hated him. Oh, Lord, we ask your blessing upon each of your people this morning. As we leave from this place, we ask that you would help us to walk in love, to demonstrate love with loving acts, because we have experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus. We ask, Lord, this in Jesus' name. Amen.